0: Hey everybody. Um this is Sarah. I am working with the KZN COVID nineteen Churches Respond project. Uh thank you so much for uh-huh. here. I think we're going to have a couple more jumping on um in the next couple of minutes, but just so that we um we stay on time and we uh, we get through all the, the great Content and discussions that we've got planned today. Um, let's get going. So, um, a couple of big group Zoom uh, comments. So, first of all, if you guys can all keep yourselves on silent, that would be really great. On mute uh, when when you're not talking. Um, that will just help uh, help the flow of the conversation. And um, because it's going, it's a bigger than normal meeting group, it can sometimes help uh, when, also this is a personal preference. When I do a Zoom meeting, I like to see everyone's faces. So if I'm on my computer, I always put myself on gallery view, but because it's a bigger webinar and more people, it can sometimes help uh, when the speakers start speaking. If you turn on to um, speaker view, it's just a, it, yeah, when our speakers start speaking, it can help focus in on them. Um, we will, the, the, the process for today is um, I'll do a little bit of scene setting, and then we're going to hand over to our three speakers, and then we'll have a um, question time. And for the question time, um, you can use your hand-raising icon on the side. Uh, so if you open up the participants at the bottom of your screen, participants chat, you open up that, and there's a way to raise your hand there. Um, and then um, I think that's all our health and safety information. Um, cool. OK, so let's get started. Um so we are part of the project. Uh, most of you are probably part of LEAN's local ecumenical action networks or involved in the project in some way, uh, most from KZN, <coughs> although some from, uh, there are a couple joining us from other parts of the country, which is fantastic. Um, this, the 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 project in and of itself is is really about, how do we as the church get together to respond to the crisis of COVID-19? How do we, how do we respond in our communities, in the areas around us uh, to, to the crisis and, and the multiple crises that COVID and the related lockdown uh, impose on us and, and bring into our, into our midst? Um, and so these liens, these local ecumenical action networks are, are a, a key part of this. Um, they're local in that they are really focused on, on your town, on your neighbourhood, on your immediate area. Um, they're ecumenical in that they're interdenominational. It's not one type of church. It's it's the church, uh, often together with different NGOs, coming together to respond. Um, it's an action network in that it's it's focused on disaster response over and above the normal fellowship spaces that ministers' Fraternals operate within. Um, and so and and the heart behind it is really how do we provide a as the church how do we provide a holistic response to the crisis um and and so relief has been one arm of it, especially in the immediate focus after after lockdown um when we were plunged into a very sudden food crisis um, but now we we know that the food crisis is likely to. Stay with us for some time, as the as we kind of enter a protracted economic crisis, um, food and and um, food security uh, and and food justice really kind of ramp up the agenda. And and what does that look like beyond relief? I know that churches around the the country, um, together with other faith groups and NGOs and Local government, national government has all been involved in this kind of massive relief effort, um, which, um, yeah, what does it look like beyond relief? What does it look like in the long term? How do we as the church and um, as people of faith, um, what, what is our contribution? And, and as Leans, as a group of churches coming together in a local area, what does that look like? Um, what role do we have in, in food security? What role, if we think right back to the creation story, right back to to the story of an abundant God creating gardens, what does that theology look like um, as we as we roll that out in our in our communities? Um, is there a role for that? So, so that's some kind of some of the the context and the ideas that that we've been thinking about. Um, that many of you are already enacting and and involved in. Um, And so, um, yeah, that's that's what we wanted to discuss today. So to kick off, I am going to hand over to Grace and Nkormo, who is joining us from the Cape. Grace, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and and give a bit of context to who you are and and where you're from.
1: Uh, So, yeah, over to you. There we go. <laughs> Can you hear me?
2: Yes. Um, thank you so much for having me and uh, welcome to a very cold and wet Cape Town. Uh, we are in the absolute middle of winter and winter weather now. So I think you're, most of you, if you're in KZN, you're probably uh, better off where you are. But um, thanks so much for having me. And, um, yes, yeah, so I am currently the director of an NGO called Connect Network, and we're a, a network of NGOs that um, really deals with with issues of child protection and, and women and children at risk. And I'm also currently finishing off my studies, my PhD studies in food security, um, and looking at particularly my focus has been or is on – Child food, uh, childhood food security and looking at school food gardens. So that is a slight disclaimer that um, my focus has been on, on school food gardens, but I think many of the learnings we can share and will apply to our conversation today. So um, let me click off with my talk if I can find it. Can you, Sarah, are you, can you share my screen?
0: I'm going bash from your side,
1: I've given you sharing rights.
2: Okay, let me just just see
1: if we can. If you can't, let me know. All right, am I winning? You are. Okay. Uh, Then I will change the view.
2: All right um so basically we want to look today a little bit at, at food gardens and what role they can play and i will be looking a little bit at the the bigger picture um and just framing it a little bit for us um, I, I believe we're going to hear from some projects um that are actually involved on the ground in in food gardens today and they'll be speaking i think a little bit more about their their, their experiences and the particular challenges and and benefits from their perspective so I'm just going to uh, give us a little bit of an overview I think uh, let me also keep an eye on my time um, so if we a lot of what we're talking about and a lot of the re, the response that we we have um had to COVID has has taken shape around food security and we're using this word a lot um, but a lot of what we're doing is really relief and crisis management and Providing um, short term relief to people, which I think we'll all agree has been massively important. But I think now we're getting to the stage where we really are reflecting again, as Sarah said, how do we go forward from here? And I think also perhaps to reflect as well that when we really look at the long term, we are actually, and when we look at what food security is, the fact that, that my studies were around children actually is quite important because that really is the long term. Um, and how do we really respond and build for the future? So really just looking at what food security actually is, um, uh, the definition um, as that's frequently used and still currently most used was put forward in 1996, but is still very much in use. So, when all people at all times have access, uh, sorry, have physical and economic access to sufficient, safe, and, and nutritious food to meet their dietary requirements and food preferences for an active and healthy life. Um, so, we can see that, that obviously and has evolved over time, but it, it, it reminds us that food security is a lot broader than, than people simply having food to eat on, on a given day. Um, and it speaks about availability, and we know in our country there is availability of food uh, on a on a con- on a countrywide scale. But very often, the issue that uh, we are challenged with is people having access to um, to food. So, food security in South Africa. Just to give us a little bit of a snapshot, we know that one third of South Africa is classified as food insecure, and that was before COVID nineteen. Um, and we know that it, it's it's exacerbated the situation. Um, when we're talking healthy food, we know that the price of healthy food has risen um a lot faster and a lot more than that of other foods. So we show that we know that when we look at um out of 10 foodstuffs that that the prices increased the most, uh, eight of those were actually fruit or vegetables. So the price of fruit and vegetables has really rocketed. Um, and we know that people who are financially less resourced are most affected by food price increases. And if we look at, um, just say, for example, the people that are in the the bottom 30% of earners in our our country or households with uh, the bottom 30% income, their percentage of monthly income um, that the increase goes from forty three to forty eight percent of their monthly income is then spent on food when there's a food increase compared to the, the more financially resourced um, top thirty percent Their monthly um, food exp- exp- household expenditure will just go from one point eight to one point nine percent so it, it has a much more massive impact uh, the food prices obviously on the poor. And with the result of that, those who have less financial resource are then less able to access healthy produce. But when we look at food security and food gardening in South Africa, we know that South Africa has a, a rich, rich history of food security. And as Sarah has touched on, even the creation story is a story of food and gardening and just in abundance, and, and the same is, is similar in South Africa, as we have great resources. Um, and that, that history of food security is entwined with fruit and vegetable production and food gardening, but it's also entwined with our history of colonialism, slavery, apartheid, and more, real, uh, more recently, near, neoliberal corporate greed. And we know that the Khoi, we know that our original African inhabitants of of Africa and South Africa were hunter-gatherers who lived off the land. South Africa itself in the formal establishment of South Africa in 1652 was as a refreshment station um, to provide the produce to the Dutch Indo Company. And we know that we had a a, a very successful um, small-scale black farming community who uh, were, were farming corn, We're farming other crops before the Land Act and before they were dispossessed of their land. So when we look at food gardens um, and just really hone in on them a little bit, um, we, we need to recognise, and it is important to recognise, that it's documented, that it's been researched, that really they, there is – very good evidence that food gardens can provide much needed food and nutritional support for the, for the poor um, in order to mitigate the rising food costs that we've spoken about. And then fruit and veg are a particularly nutrient uh, source of food, and they provide a rich source of micronutrients um, that are very, very seriously lacking in a, in a lot of our population and are therefore causing um, quite serious developmental delays, particularly in children and, um, you know, issues such as eyesight development, organ development. Uh, all of that is affected by, say, for example, not having vitamin A or sufficient vitamin A. Um, m- many of the micronutrients and the nutrients that are found in, in the fruit and the produce that we can grow really um, contribute to essential... Uh, developed to to our population. And also we know that there's a a strong link between fruit and vegetable intake and the reduced risk of disease. And and, um, research also shows us that fruit and vegetables are one of the most modifiable, so one of the easiest risk factors to change for chronic disease. And that also is very, very important because, as we know once again, um, poverty, inequality, um, the situation that um, the less financially resourced in our country find themselves in um, goes hand in hand often with chronic diseases. And so, um, nutrition is vitally important and that can be found in a lot of fresh produce, fruit and vegetables. So also we, we've seen that um, the, the loss of the link between where people are producing their own food and um, are close to the source of food production and where food is now sort of been outsourced to, to others. <laughs> we also see that, uh, that there's a decrease in the intake of fresh produce. Now, another aspect I want to just touch on.
1: One
3: bit, one bit.
2: um, Something just to touch on is the importance of, and I'm not going to really go into this for the sake of time, but especially with children. And as I've said, we need to be really thinking. A lot of a lot of what I'm saying in terms of nutrition and the importance of good eating is especially relevant for children because of their developmental needs. And because we need to be really looking to the next generation when we're talking about food security and um, because poor food security and poor nutritional intake at childhood, um, unfortunately leads to poor outcomes in so many areas of of children's lives. So we do need to be focusing on that if we want to um, bring change and really making sure that we, we are looking at a longer term picture for our communities. So Food literacy is essentially the relationship that um, children and people have with food and with fresh produce and fruit and vegetables. Um, and an important thing about food gardens, particularly with children, is that it really increases their food literacy. And we'll talk a little bit more later in a minute about how it really has shown that it, it improves their relationship and their preference and their intake for fruit and vegetables. So a very, very vital role that fruit and veg plays in that and food gardening. So just also to challenge us, I think a little bit today, that it's important that we understand what food security is, but uh, there's shortcomings in that as well. And that we need to be increasingly as we engage with our communities and and as you, you may be, but to just be mindful that we want to move really from a food security Um, perspective alone to also really be I I think thinking around issues of food justice and the the bigger picture and the more holistic picture of the role that food and how we work with our communities in this area um, how we do that so if we then look at a a definition of food justice that they would say then that people have access to sufficient affordable healthy food but also very importantly to self, to respect and to self-determination. And I think you'd agree with me that when we start looking at issues such as respect and self-determination, that this is where food gardens can play an important role as well, where people can decide how they want to work um, in, in communities, the type of food they would choose to grow, the type, based on the type of food they may choose to eat or sell, whatever they um, ultimately decide to do with it. And also what they do decide to do with it. So across the range of implementation and use of, of the produce from gardens um, is essentially the food justice aspects start, start coming in where people have freedom to choose. Um, they are able to build autonomy and really have a sense of ownership um, and self-determination in, in, in food gardens where perhaps they don't have... Um, from a, a more relief perspective. Um, yeah, and these are all very important for, for the dignity and uh, self-respect of, of the people in our communities. So, uh, again, the, those who, are, who haven't previously been able to access food for themselves are then able to be part of the solutions um, and bring their own expertise, their own understanding um, their own experience of food gardens as we, we find often our communities are very rich in an understanding and experience of food gardens and they can bring that to the table and uh, we learn together and just to, just to touch briefly on some of the findings of my research although it does particularly relate to children but um, as I've said it's important for us to think about that um, a strong finding in fact one of the probably the biggest key um, things that came through was that children would actually rather be hungry than be seen as poor. And that was a very um, interesting thing. And it did also relate to being given the option to eat at um, school feeding schemes. Um, And there were school feeding schemes where, for example, they some children got food and it wasn't enough for the whole school, but some children could access food and some couldn't. And so there was a massive stigma around going to the school feeding and the, and the number of children clearly communicated that they wouldn't eat there because they would rather be hungry. They'd rather not have food than being seen within their school community and, and even in the wider community as being poor. So again, it speaks to dignity, self-respect, respect um, and just how we, how we do deal with these issues um, and how people are, are, need to be able to find their own solutions. Um, and then just also, yeah, just that people need to be able to um, speak into the utilisation of the food that they, they produce and actually what they produce. Because, for example, um, many outside stakeholders in some of our projects here were saying about eggplants or brinjals. It was fantastic food and easy to grow, and people should be growing them. But local communities had absolute resistance to them, and resulted in piles and piles of of this food not being eaten. And um, to the extent, then people would write recipe books and write all sorts of um, think of all sorts of ways to to encourage people to eat this food stuff. But uh, I'm not sure that that's completely necessary. I mean, we can experiment with different foods, but communities people know what they want to eat what they enjoy eating and a lot of that is very really easy to grow as well so just to to you know let's work with people with where they're at and and what they want to do um and then again with the children they they loved food gardens and they loved um fruit and veg very often because of the experience of food gardens at home uh, their grandparents. Um, a lot of our communities, you know, come from the Eastern Cape and, um, they had food gardens there and as a result had a very positive relationship with fruit and veg and it played an important role in their lives. So, you know, part of their Sunday lunch, a lot of them would take fruit and veg to school, um, and just different ways. And they had a very positive attitude, which I think again is, is not often the perception that we think, um people, maybe less financial results. We sometimes think that they're not eating healthy food and they're accessing, and, and there, there, is, there are reasons that uh, people can access um, affordable food um, that is perhaps not that healthy, but uh, I did find that a, a, a very positive relationship with fruit and veg was there. Um and I think that is all from me, and I think that is my time. So thank you very, very much. I'll stop my screen. Thank you so much, Grace. That was
1: really and I put my brilliant. Um, I'm not going to take questions right
0: now, kind of from that very useful kind of overview and, and, and painting the pictures of, of the value of, of food gardens and the value of, that they can bring to us. Let's jump straight into an example. Um, so I'm going to hand over to Lillian, who is with the Bambai Project here in Etteguini, which is uh, just down the road from where I am based.
4: Um, so Lillian, can I hand over to you? Okay, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Lillian. I'm from Bambai. Bambai is a, is a uh, squatter camp. It's 32 kilometers north of Devon. And it's, uh, it's very overpopulated. And uh, some some people, they they can't even grow vegetables because they don't have land. But fortunately for me, I'm working at the crash. I'm the supervisor at the crash. I've got a, a land and there are some group of ladies who are also having a land. That land belongs to the municipality and they, they were given permission to utilize it as gardens. So, as as a ECD practitioner, I was having some. I'm still having somebody who helped me in the garden, but now because of COVID nineteen, he's at home. So I'm very very active in the garden now. I'm growing spinach because people in the area they like spinach and carrots. So I can say I'm growing. Carrots, spinach, turnips, and so forth. So the importance of food gardening is it's it's accessible to the to the people because they don't go to town uh, to buy vegetables from the market. It's easy. They are not spending bus fare to go to. To town, so it's easy to come and get it any time they, they they want because I'm on the land from eight o'clock up until five o'clock, so it is accessible. And the the, the role played by the church in improving the garden here in 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 Mumbai is very 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 good, because they also encourage, they give, but they also encourage people to to grow their own uh, vegetables, like one home, one garden, or using the wheels, you know the wheels, they can do something, or old the basins, they can plant vegetables in the uh, old basins, because they, they they are not having enough land because of overpopulation. So in my crash and preschool it's a rare case that I go uh, to check us or a spa or any market to buy vegetables. I'm just eating from my own garden all year round. It's all I can say for now. Thank you.
0: I can ask you briefly um, to share. So from the project and from what, what you guys have been doing, um, what have been some of the greatest, I suppose, challenges or lessons um, that as a
4: community garden that you've had to overcome? Okay. For me, yes, my land is secure and it's it's well-fenced. But for those groups that are utilizing the municipality land, outside people, they are uh, vandalizing it and coming inside for stealing because the devil always works with the empty hands because they, they can't plant for themselves. But it's easy to go to other people's a land and
0: steel. Clarify, so the way the project works, it's on the... Sorry, is my sound quiet? Um, I, I think that the children may have put play-doh in my volume. It seems to come and go. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> um so 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 yeah in your in in your in the project um how does so generally you said you've got someone helping you how does access work um who is the food for how do you determine who in the community has access to food um yeah how does that normally work
4: oh With the help of the community health care workers, we know how to identify people who are in need. There are some community health care workers who are doing house-to-house work, looking after sick people.
1: Brilliant.
0: what what size are you working on? What kind of size plot are you? is your garden operating out of?
4: Uh, although I'm not good, uh, Sarah, in measurement, but it's a big, I, I don't know, how can I estimate? Maybe it's about two hectares. But in future, I, I'm going to tell you the exact size. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. That's really
0: useful. Great. Well, thank you so much, right. Lily. Um, I'm going to... Uh, we'll take broader questions uh, after after this, um, but I'm going to hand over to Marshall now to share his experience
1: from the Cape as well.
5: Hello, everybody. Uh, um, yeah, my name is Marshall uh, from a cold and wet Overberg. So, yeah, so we're based in, um, in, in the Overbird, um, which is just about 155 days out, out of state town. Um, yeah, and I'm, happy, I'm quite happy to be here today just to share some of our experiences and, um, and, and kind of where we're at with food search. Uh, so my background specifically is around uh, permaculture, gardening, um, school gardens, as well, uh, but also looking at community gardens. Um, currently, the director of Rayton Franciscan Town Movement, which is um, just in a nutshell, a Franciscan Town is a worldwide network that looks at food security, environmental education um, in various smaller um, communities. I think today I'm not going to share much about the actual model, but I think the main focus today is around uh, food security and food gardens and some successes around that and also some failures around that. Um, I think when the lockdown started, when when the whole COVID-19 lockdown started, this is now, yeah, over four months ago, I think, or more or less, there was a need for... For us to come together and not waiting for government to do things for us, and I think that was the main thing. Um, As a small town, I think we usually not seen as needing help. I mean, we we are in an area where where there's outside Cape Town, where there's larger areas where specifically government focuses on. So we started a small little um, COVID-19 committee between various organizations like like myself, DETROS, uh, The Future is in our area, and other NGOs. Um, and from that we formed a COVID-19 um, pandemic committee. And that was specifically looking around our food passes um, and not waiting for government to government to, to support us with that. I mean we have applied for that. Unfortunately, we haven't been successful in in getting any funding or any food process from government um, about South. Up to date, we've raised about eight eight hundred thousand rand privately, and that's just from local residents. That's from crowdfunding pages. Um, that's just popping out a call to various communities, and from from that money, we could Support about 1,600 people, which is uh, just over 500 families in our area that that that's been suffering under specifically lockdown that had no work um, and that 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 had no income. Um, obviously, this is I think for us this 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 is not a sustainable way forward in terms of handing our food poverty, and that's and that's why we launched about. Six weeks ago we launched what we call the Valley Food Gardens um, where we look at where we look specifically at um, expertise in the area we look at people that is already um, farming in the area we are and those are the people that we've identified specifically around this area and see how can we support existing farmers how can we um, how can we assist um existing people that backyard farmers, to upscale the process. Um, and what we've done is in so in, in the valley food gardens, we look at We look at four specific, we we look at four areas and we look at um, four champions. And these are uh, champions who we assist specifically grow mass seedlings in the area because often one of the challenges are uh, people don't have enough access to seed. I And mean, that's always the, the thing that people talk about. They don't have enough access to seeds and seedlings. So our main thing was to set up these four champions, which we now call the hubs, and support them with um, over 20,000 seeds. To start a seedling hub, the household and any people that want to start a garden can come to these hubs, hubs in the community, and get seedlings. So the first seedlings, they, they get at no cost, and the next seedlings they they buy at a very subsidized price. Um, and the whole idea was to look at how how do we inspire people to see food as the medicine. I think that was one of the kind of main things how we get people on the level of seafood as your medicine and use any space, even at your backyard, even if it's containers, anything that people can use to grow, um, grow typically uh, food in the um, backyard. I think also one of one of the main um, challenges in 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 the whole process. I think is around mindset change as well. I think people are very much um used to kind of um, I think kind of handouts. And I think that's what we're gonna kinda move away. How do we move away from a a culture of people that's just waiting for government to help them? How can we bring a culture back where the community can can kinda help themselves and how can they uh, assist each other in that way? So uh, we basically in that process in supporting about five to six hundred parcels, um in the next few weeks will be our last uh, food parcels that we will be handing out, and in each of the food parcels, uh, recipients will then get a voucher whereby they will get a first lot of seedlings at no cost uh, to start the vegetable gardens uh, for those that don't have uh, any gardens. In their backyards, um, but the hubs will also be there to support these people um, as well. Um, yeah, I think I think from um, yeah, I think that's 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 my nutshell on what we've been currently now busy um, for the last six to, six to eight weeks. Um, but as I said beforehand, we have been working around um, with our school gardens and stuff. I think just maybe one aspect we maybe closed off was I think we sold the idea to people that have food in your backyard for yourself, but we also have two to local markets that we have on a Wednesday and Saturday. So we also said to people, 80% of your garden should be there to feed yourself. But can you grow exotic stuff like artichokes and rhubarb, stuff that's worth money, That we can buy in from your garden that you can earn money at the same time but also have um food on the table as well and i think that that type of model or idea has kind of worked quite well because people would know that they can earn some bucks with their garden but at the same time that that they have food in their backyard to um feed themselves yeah i think i'm gonna stop there um just, yeah, I mean, if people have any questions, I think, later on, rather, um, around the actual model that we consider now, yeah. Okay. Thank you,
0: Marshall. Could you talk briefly, quickly, actually, to the, a little bit more, you touched on it, but the food market. Sorry, the links between the food gardens and the market that you run on a weekly basis. Could you share a little bit about that?
5: Yeah, yeah. So, so um, as uh, I said earlier, so so we have two we have two markets weekly on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and these were specifically set up for local produce eat vegetables, with food, uh, eat food, eat your own milk. Um, so just to create a local uh, platform where people can sell their stuff, but we also do uh, bartering as well. So there's there a sense of that we barter as well. So if you have spinach and you have tomatoes that we can also barter that. I think, as I've said now, lastly, I think it's important that there's a, um, some income for people at, and I think that's more long-term, but I think the way that we sold it to people is that you can plant your own food and you have these two markets that we have weekly as a platform to come and sell you your your veggies or we as an organization, we come and buy in your veg on a weekly basis. And I think there was a much better response uh, from that that people know that they can feed themselves uh, first of all, but they, they can have a small income as well,
1: yeah. Thank you so much, that's great. Um,
0: I've got a bunch more questions for everyone, but let's open it up to the floor. Uh, so again, um, if, you, if you click on the participants tab at the bottom, you will see that there's a space that you can raise your hands. Um,
1: so yeah, any questions for any of our speakers?
6: Yes, Rod. Um, so, the, just the question I had, um, or Grace, was um, the measuring. I know st- obviously stunting is one of the major um, side effects of malnutrition, and what's, what sort of measuring tools can one use to, to try and understand that better or measure yeah,
5: that? I'm using for
2: Sorry, yes, I'm here. Um, yes, yeah, so, so obviously, with childhood food security, um, stunting and wasting are key measurements that one looks at. And as I said, uh, stunting and wasting are both, unfortunately, um, yeah, key indicators for outcomes for the future. So, uh, as I said, a lot of um, focus should be on childhood food security. Um, so, stanting and wasting, which obviously is hard to hard to um, weight and then um, weight to age um, measurements. So, obviously, slightly technical measurements. but um, And then there's also a key question around when you talk about childhood food security, where can one still intervene? So, beyond what age sort of is the damage, as it were, irreversible in terms of... Uh, those particular measurements and the outcomes into the future. So a little bit of debate around that. So obviously the younger that we are intervening and making sure that our children have um, nutritious food, the better. But I think we need to, to obviously make it as accessible as possible across the board. But yeah, the the younger that we intervene, uh, the better. And I think when we are having these conversations, it is an important point to, to note because it's great that that all people are able to to have food to eat to not go to bed hungry, but in terms of providing good futures for for our communities, uh, nutrition you know plays a, it's a key role as you as you as you mentioned when we look at stunting, wasting, and and the the effects and the impacts. Mm-hmm. Of those <laughs> Thank you, Greg.
0: Um, maybe a question from from me, um, Marshall. You mentioned the uh, the seed hubs, and what I found really interesting about that is is from a from a food security uh, from a, a food sovereignty point of view, um, uh, which is, is is part of the food justice angle of of food security. That idea of having ownership and and ownership and control over over food and, and your access to food and food security. And um, yes, yes, yes. in the in the, the cases around the world, the issue of seeds is actually such a, a big issue. Uh, where do those seeds come from? Who owns owns those seeds that uh, there's there's a lot of it. And and so your idea of starting with the seed hubs, um Is is fascinating and such a useful um, idea. Are you so? So one of the other things that often come up in this work is the idea of seed saving and seed banks, so that it's it's um, uh, yeah seasonal and you can come back and and you don't have to keep buying from big business, getting seeds and tools hands up.
5: know, for sure
0: does that feed into your thinking?
5: Hundred percent. So I think yeah, so yeah, so. First of all, I I think that's, yeah, so I think that's one of the main things and and, uh, also being my background being um, permaculture as well. I think for me that's important as your first step on how do you get um, the best seeds um, and I think specifically heirloom seeds and that's also open pollinated. Um, So our first batch of seeds we bought from um, seeds for Africa uh, um, and that's one of the uh, online shops that you can get um, very well open pollinated and seeds um, at um, quite cheaply. And what's nice about those seeds are that, that you don't have to go back every year to go and buy seeds because you can save your seeds, you can leave it in your garden for self-seeding as well. One of the things is also that each of the hubs in the area, although they now, um, in, um, as time goes, um, they will also become a, a seed bank at the same time. So, people in the community will be asked or supported to, to save their own seeds, but also use the hub as a kind of seed bank to save their seeds at the same time. So, that's a, yeah, and that, that's a massive issue, I think, that's been um, always a concern. Where do you get good seeds? Where do you get seeds um that's not um that in chemicals um, and how do you prevent people of buying seeds every single year and as i said the best way to go with that is is to get a good source um like we did um to get open pollinated seeds but also getting alien seeds which means that you can use the seeds for a couple of years to come by seed saving and by self-seeding in in your garden as well, yeah.
0: Can you just give us a quick definition of, I think you did heirloom, um, but your open uh, open pollinated and heirloom seeds.
5: Yeah, so a quick, uh, yeah, so um, open pollinated means that your um, seeds, so um, every vegetable um, um, goes to flower. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm standing outside in my garden now and, and my, so the ender is now shooting seed, so which means is that your um, any any veggie has a seed, and if if the, the flower opens, it it, it uh, scatters the seeds on the soil, and the seeds will come up by itself. But if you buy your normal star case seeds, um, they don't do that. So it has to be kind of open-pollinated seeds. It means if they if your flower opens again. Um, and your seeds um, falls on the actual ground in your garden, it actually um, sells seeds, and small plants will come around that specific plant. and that does not happen with your uh, uh, staff based seeds um, at all. So I think that's why it's important to get. It's slightly more expensive, but you but you don't have to buy seeds um, for the f- next five uh, uh, five to six years to come. Uh, yeah, I hope that that give us some more um,
1: context on that, yeah. Thank you. Terry and
3: Dan, your hand is up. Sarah? Yeah. Sarah? I said Albert, hi Albert. I'm fine. Yeah, I I think the presentation was so enriching and I I, I greatly appreciate for the great work which is done in around the community. My question, I wanted to ask you, Bambai, are they working in partnership or with other community uh, service provider like the Department of Agriculture or municipality in their initiative? Is
5: that not for me, the question? Or is that for, sorry, I didn't get that.
4: Bye. Yes, we are working in partnership with a local municipality because sometimes he is providing us with seeds and some garden tools and even
3: some workshops. Okay, thank you very much sorry we have another question Albert? no i i think that, that that's great but actually personally i felt like the way they are doing they they should actually be partnering with other uh service providers in order to enrich other e- 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 NGO or other people who are who are who are actually doing the same the, the same services I think it's 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 actually actually good for me. Because I, I, I understand in the municipalities or in the Department of Agriculture, there are some in incentives or some sponsorship regarding food gardening. So I don't have any more questions. Thank you very much.
0: Dan, your hands are up.
7: Uh, hi everybody, um, this is my husband Daniel, my name is Kerry Weens, and uh, my husband Daniel is actually a Farming God's Way trainer. So we um, worked with Bambayi um, and did a workshop there doing some training for the methods of um, gardening. And so my question relates to how we um, enrich uh, the skills of godness because they are methods that lead to enrichment of the soil of increasing fertility over time and yields that are high and robust and there are methods that do the exact opposite um, methods that lead to destruction of the soil soil erosion um, lack of moisture retention um, and so our passion is that when people do garden that they actually garden in methods that result in success um, Certainly a lot of people that we've talked to have tried agriculture, have tried gardening, and they have not found it to be successful because of all the challenges that you can face with gardening. And yet with some simple training and simple methodology, you can actually be so much more successful. So that's my question is, you know, we can promote community gardens, but what are we doing to ensure that people have the training that's necessary so that their experience when they start is positive.
1: Thank you for that. Does, do any of our three speakers want to respond to, to some of that? But I think it is, it is such a vital point and I think, yeah, the way that we garden
0: um, and similarly Mike's comment um uh in the chat, he was just talking about um who controls the seeds, which is some of what marshall was was talking to um so much yeah. of the way we farm determines the outcomes. the way we do community gardening determines yeah, yeah. the impact that it has on poverty, the impact that it has on on yeah on 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 the environment on the on yeah so I would yeah I think the point that you raised was a really really important one
7: well and just to add to that I would say um just to everyone on this forum um we are available as a resource this is what we do we train um we've set up a model farm near Hillcrest people are able to come out and look at what we're doing, Um, we can consult, we can take people through the gardens and show them um, what we're doing. um, And we arrange training and we train leaders as well. So if you have a leader in your community garden that you would like to have training, you can certainly contact us and we can provide training. So um, we'd like to offer ourselves as a resource if we can help at all with anything that you're doing.
5: Fantastic. Can I? Yeah. So I can answer that quickly to your uh, question. Um, yeah. So, so, so I think. Uh, I think it's. In, I mean, that's a very important um, aspect. I think and and question. And I think. I think for me also. I think specifically working around um, permaculture gardening, which is I think specifically around working with nature and how do you make sure that that your food gardens that you do um, promote nature by itself rather than having your commercial monoculture type of garden. And I think um, in, like, recently and in the last few years, we've also brought um, introduction to permaculture courses to the um, community as well, that, that the excess is there for, younger people to have more to um, that way of gardening as well. Because I think, um, unfortunately, the Department of um, Agriculture are not yet there where they I think, promote organic farming or permaculture gardening. That's why I, uh, we've done a uh, similar where We have a little model garden specifically around where people can come and see how do you grow food um, not just one type of vegetable, or not one type of thing. Where you can have multiple um, food crops on the same area that that supports each other, but also supports the land, that also supports your microorganisms, and supports um, life in the soil as well. Um, and I think for me, that's important. I think for me, it's important that that um, that 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 uh, knowledge and Nation is pushed um, out to the um, communities as we uh, uh, do that. So I think that's a very valid thing that, that's been raised. And I think, unfortunately, it's something that's not yet um, done enough, I think, around um, SA as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, could I perhaps add as well? Um, yes, I think that's a, a, a very important. Um, issue and and a very important uh, contribution that Dan and Kerry Kerry have made um, that exactly that and I didn't as I I touched on in the beginning but I didn't really I mean food gardens as much as as we can speak about the benefits the potential um, outcomes of them they, they certainly are not without challenges and um, and those challenges, there's, you know, from from accessing resources. I mean, we're talking now about seeds as one uh, very particular one, but but any resource and the number of resources, as you all know, that need to go into them. And again, um, as Mumbai spoke about uh, crime and vandalism, and we're talking about putting these into communities. And um, yeah, there, there, there's so many challenges. So so that we do need to balance this discussion with that. That and and look at if we if we're saying that. Um, we're suggesting that that communities uh, do take this on further that as much as possible they are then getting adequate and appropriate support as well um, to really to make them you know so that we can harness the resources collectively to really support initiatives because they are challenges and and I think any of us who've been involved in that certainly know that so yeah I think it's excellent to be able to to bring that, that uh, insight and all that experience you have and really support, and that's great. I'm
1: going to go to Zakile and then across
0: to Rev Kaba and then down to Rod. So, Zoukile, your hand is up at the moment. Do you want to go ahead?
8: Thanks, uh, Sarah. Uh, my name is uh, Zukile. I'm from the warehouse uh, um, here in uh, in Cape Town, I'm um, uh, very uh, happy and excited to be uh, part of um, uh, this uh, discussion today. Um, I, uh, part of what uh, we've really been uh, doing from the warehouse side is to look at how uh, churches can live out the peace and the just- justice of God. And you have started Sarah, uh, very well with the creation story and, and all that. And my uh, question um, would be um, how probably uh, churches can model this um, you know, uh, um, idea of growing food? Uh, you know for uh, the the communities I remember uh, in one of our dissentment uh, uh, weeks it came out uh, this idea of uh, probably churches turning um, some of their um, car uh, parking spaces or any space that they could have into uh, gardens and the uh, the eastern cape um, uh, provincial ecumenical um um, Network also did some study of about uh, um, I think over 6,000 hectares are available on church land um, alone. So my question would be as much as we are encouraging uh, people um, you know, to do this in the community, but we are the ones that have these transformative theologies and how can we do that as the church and we become that city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Thank you so much.
0: So that's great. Um, before we come back to comments from our speakers, let's just uh, pop down
1: to Rev Kava. Rev Khabha, do you want to share? Do you want to take yourself off mute? How are you? Thanks. Yes, we can hear you.
8: Yes, uh, I'm Reverend Kaba HM um, Peter Marisbeck. Um, now I'm having I'm pastoring at a farm farm area, so now I want to ask uh, Mister Dean and Kerry, uh, Daniel, uh, that. Um, if, if if i can um call them to come and train people they will be able to do that so because i'm having a big land in in, in, in this mission now i want to help people that are that are in need
1: yeah um where where are you
9: in durban yeah Yeah, no you're you're close to us we're we're near near hillcrest i'm going to put my email address up on the chat group so if you're interested in training or access to resources any kind of knowledge um resourcing that we can help you with including trainings that we do uh, you can contact me directly i'm just putting my email address up here as well um, and I'm also going to just let everybody know that there are resources freshly posted up on YouTube video resources for vegetable growing um, on a, on the Farming God's Way YouTube channel. So I'll put those details up as well.
8: Okay, thank you.
9: Farming God's Way is a tool. It's not the only tool. It's a tool. So you know, there's there's permaculture, there's Farming God's Way, there's different things that you can access. But the basic principles of looking after the soil and looking after God's good creation so it can look after us, our universal.
1: Thank
9: you.
0: Do yucky industrial farming, then. <laughs> um, right, can we hop over to you?
6: Sure thing. Um, so my question was to Marshall. Um so before I ask a question, maybe I should introduce myself. My name is Rod Spencer, and I'm a director of a company called Deep Rural Group. Um, and we focus on um, sustainable strategies and implementation for businesses and NGOs. And um, my, my sort of uh, speciality or passion is in agri um, and small scale farmers. So. Um, and I run various food security programs for, for different uh, organisations. And the one question to you, Marshall, which I would love to know is what the average size is of the gardens, and what the average income is that you've been able to to see your 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 um, people generate out of those
5: gardens. Uh, let me just take my part off to you. Uh, thanks for that. So uh, yeah, so any so any size from from about um so any three by five meters, that's the smallest, um in terms of household. And then we also have people with larger lotments as well, which is opposite their house or, or so, which is more which we more looking at about uh, ten ten meters by five. Um and then there's your your bit larger, which is about ten by penny meter. Um and, and then minimum I would say I mean from the households that we've been working with, um, anything from about six hundred grand to eight hundred grand per week because we 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 uh, go to, to, to these specific households of people that grow food um twice a week. And any surplus that they can provide um as I said it depends I mean In summer, it's much more, obviously, because there's much more vegetables uh, available. Um, But as I said, anything between, yeah, I would say 6 to 800 grand per week um, as an income for people that can kind of sell. And these are people that are not earning anything. So at the same time, they're having food in their own gardens, but they can also earn money at the same time, yeah.
6: That's great, thank you. Thank you, Marshall. Um, and then, also, just to um, to back up what uh, uh, Dan and Kerry's offer, they are an incredible team when it comes to training. So, if any of you do need training, they are incredible. Yeah, they're an incredible training. So, just to encourage you um, to take advantage of that, uh, that offer there. Um, and then, for those of you who would like to see a church farm in action, an actual farm at a church, um, I belong to the Anglican Church Orsals and we've got a, a just under half a hectare of vegetables that I run there um, and that is fully self-sustained. So, and I work in, yeah, Dan is a, is, a, is, a, is a extended family member of us there, so he's been there many a time. Um, so yeah, I would also like to offer that to anybody who would like to come and see um, evidence of, it, of of a church farm working in action. Um, please feel free to to contact me. I'll also stick up my, my contact details in the message group there. Great, thank you.
4: Um, maybe our, any of our
0: three speakers um wanted to comment on Zokelia's point uh on on yeah the role that the church can play in modelling some of this.
1: Any thoughts on that?
2: Um, I go ahead. I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, as Ezekiel said, um, the church needs to be kind of leading the way in this, as in in any other issue that's uh, that is challenging our, our country. But yeah, I think definitely, and as, because also one of the key issues, um, as we've touched on, uh, starts being to the issue of land and really, that people don't have land. So, for example, uh, because my focus was school food gardens, people don't have access um, where they move from, from a more rural setting perhaps when they were absolutely used to having access to land, could grow their own for susten- substance subsistence farming, um, and for food to eat, food to sell, and then move into an, an urban setting where, yeah, in very cramped conditions. Um, so within that, those settings, the the spaces are potentially in schools or potentially in churches. So I think I do think the churches, um, if they do have access to some land, um, whatever s- scale it may be, but ne- it could be challenged to um, to to lead the way to to look at a new space. And um, because also, if, if we're talking even in communities, there's issues of ownership. I mean, we've had um, people who've grown great veggies and gardens on pavements, and then, for example, the city of Cape Town comes and says, no, no, you know, you can't grow it here, it's, it's, it's not allowed. So if the churches own the land, obviously there's that power um, in that. So, so I think definitely they can lead the way and, and be challenged in this. I
0: was wondering another question for our speakers. Um, <laughs> so um in line with in line with this and and the the role that the church could play um, wait i 've totally lost my train of thought. I was <laughs> ignore that question wait it 's come back sorry i didn 't sleep much last night i 've got a baby who stays awake all night long <laughs> so um my question is around is there a role? Do we, do we think that there could be a role with, so our, our geography as South Africa is still, um, the apartheid is finished, but the spirit of apartheid is alive and flipping kicking in our communities. And, um, and our geography is one of the key aspects of that. And so, is there a role, like so? So, thinking of those six hundred hectares of land that the church owns, a lot of that is in highly resourced areas, but because of our geographies, those areas are are not overlapping. Um, and just thinking creatively and imaginatively, what role could a highly resourced church have? And I'm not I'm not asking from a charity point of view. I'm not asking about food relief here, but but from a food justice point of view. Could there be a role for, and maybe this is an open question, first to our, our panelists, but also to others. Is there a role that we could play in partnering, in twinning, in
1: in food sharing? Yeah, I'm interested in, in
7: any creative ideas. I'm not one of the speakers, but um, as you're talking, um, for me, The role that churches can play is in raising up leaders. Now just picture if every church in South Africa put aside some funding to pay the salary of one agricultural trainer. And they had that trainer who was willing to go out and teach people how to grow food in the areas that surround that church. Um, You know, We do training and we see how powerful it is when you give people the skills to grow in methods that are successful, Um, but we can't go everywhere. Um, Our vision is that every community would have a trainer that's an expert in a sustainable gardening method. Um, The challenge with that is, a person that's training doesn't always have time to go and earn an income or whatever. The way that a church could help is by funding one trainer and having that trainer available and having an intentional outreach where um, they're specifically thinking about every person um, in their church, in their communities, having some kind of gardening Experience whether, like we say, being in a container or in the small plot of land. That being said, we still maintain that South Africa has so much land, um, rural land that's currently not being farmed. And as Grace had said, so many people are coming to the cities um, looking for. The riches, they're looking for a solution to to providing for their families. And we are actually saying that it's the rural areas that are the solution. And so churches also can play a part in um, sort of envisioning people to return to rural areas and providing the resources to develop those areas agriculturally so that people are growing on their home plots. Um, you know, we've driven through Eastern Cape, and there's farms for miles and miles, rural farms for miles and miles, and very, very few people growing. Um, and you know, our, one of the workers that we have is working in Durban, but she's got a, a rural prop, property in Eastern Cape. People have left those because they don't see. those areas can be productive and that's what we're trying to sort of change the mindset around is actually if you have even half the hectare of land you are rich
9: I, i think the churches have a can have a role in um in awareness most people don't realize that less than a third of uh farmable land in south africa is actually under production that's you know that's a huge um, issue around lack of stewardship. We're not stewarding the farmland that we have in this country. Millions and millions of hectares are just sitting empty or have a couple sheep and a cow on them because um, people have abandoned their homelands or or their ancestral lands and flocked to the cities for this the hoped-for easy job. So awareness is a good place to start.
1: Um, can I perhaps respond to that? Just add to that. Ah. Yeah. Is it
5: me or someone? Yeah, um, yeah Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, let me just can I just add to that, quickly?
0: Go ahead, Marshall, and then we'll yeah. jump to Grace.
5: Yeah, I think yeah. So just an example as well of I mean, so I've I've been working out in Zambia as well for the last couple of years, and one of the, the roles of the churches there specifically is. Of course, it's a platform where people come every week on a Sunday. It's a set time and it's a set amount of people. Um, they've, they, in some areas in Zambia, they've used that platform as a place to educate people around agriculture as well or, or around home culture. And at the same time, also, um, they take they say um, sometimes they take half of the time of the church to actively spend time to um in enlightening people the, of, around the benefits around farming on their own land i think one of the successes i also saw there and um, that you've now mentioned then i think people don't see the value specifically around farming their own land um and i think it's it, it, i think from from my experience it's also i think um often it's not a market or there's no support for people that to say, okay, I have a half a hectare of, of, land, uh, of land or a hectare. I can feed myself with some of that land. But often the challenge is that they don't have the support um, for a a company, a, a organization or a business that will kind of permit to say, okay, um, all these veggies or stuff we buy from you um, before it's even planted. And, one of those models um, has been working quite well up in Zambia, where um, the support is there for small scale farms to say right. Um, rather than moving to city to areas to go and work for less money, work your plan um, and then be your, your own kind of business person, which is not um, easy to do. I think it's easiest I think, for people to go and work for a week and earn money. But I think, That awareness around uh, um, if people can work their own land and they can even earn more money and feed themselves at the same time. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also maybe one of the functions uh, where the churches can kind of bring that awareness as well. Yeah. Can I um,
1: hop to Grace? And then I know there are one or two other
0: people are going to share but what I'm going to do after Grace is I'm going to divide us into some breakout rooms um, for a little bit of of, of smaller conversation um, and I've got a question for you guys to think about in that space so let's hop to Grace and then I'll explain briefly the breakout rooms which will be a first time I'm trying this from my end I've joined but I've never done it so let's see I might kick you all out by accident hopefully not
2: Grace um yeah, I think just a little bit of response from my side just also to, to recognize, you know, just to bring in some of the complexities around this perhaps as well, and while recognizing we we do need to encourage the the rural um, cultivation and support of, border, of, of to, um, to also just to you know for all of us to keep in mind um, as we are encouraging that that for example when when I did my interviews with the children, then I interviewed the parents as well and so um I was in a township in in Cape Town, and so ninety percent of them had moved from the eastern cape um, and so I spoke to moms mainly because they were the ones who responded and Just about every single person that I spoke to had really had grown up food gardening, loved food gardening, had their food garden in the eastern cape and most of them indicated that they would still really love to be there doing that, walking into their garden every day, getting their produce, food for the pot food to sell um, and they, I mean they waxed lyrical about their their love of food gardening. I mean, I was amazed I mean they could <laughs> they came to life talking about their food gardens, how they loved them, how their dad would sell to the neighbors or give to you know just the whole story around food gardening and their love of it, and their love of fruit and veg from there. And how they encourage their children to eat these fruit and veg, etc. And so then, uh, obviously, exploring that. I mean, and how they would love to still be doing it. But then, most of those parents indicated that the reason they were in Cape Town, living uh, in not living on their their land, was because that had, they would rather they would make that sacrifice to get to a better school for their children and the education. So. As we know, these are nuanced nuanced, and, and complex decisions. So, so I think it's, it's that, and we can encourage that, but at the same time, to be challenging churches and to be encouraging how do we make it work for people who, who have to be or have decided for whatever reason to be in the urban area as well, which may be, for example, education for their children, uh, infrastructure that is available in the urban areas that maybe isn't available in the, in the rural areas. So, yeah, just... I think just to keep that in mind too, that that we need to be probably working on both and and solutions in both
1: in both spaces. Thank you. Okay. Um, let's um,
0: jump into these uh, food, these breakout groups now. The question that I would love everyone to think about is, well, there are a few questions, so maybe you want to jot these down. Um, so of, of some of you who have been involved in doing this before, uh, what have your lessons been? What has your, um, what has your experience been so far and what, what, where are there resources that you know of outside of what's been shared today? Um, so that's the first batch of questions. So what has worked? What have the lessons been? What resources um, do we have that we could share, and then a second batch of questions uh is around um what excites me about this work what what potentials do I see what what yeah, what am I thinking about um and then secondly, what big questions or concerns do I have still um where am I feeling like I need more information um or or yeah. Other kind of broad, broad questions that that you might have. So, what I would love each, in each group, if one person could put their hand up to be a um, a scribe, and to just jot down some of this, because we'll use that as a resource. Um, so this is really a knowledge generation moment. That it's it's a discussion, but it's also knowledge generation that we can share with each other and. Um, I
1: think about 20 people experienced load shedding today. So there are a lot of people who aren't on this call who wanted to be here.